So how, on God's gray earth, did this? And this like a hula hoop. Karma is a bitch where just make sure that bitch is beautiful. Life on the edge. I'm dangling my feet. I tried to pay attention, but attention paid me. Haters can't see me. Nosebleed seats. And today I went shopping. And even this. Pussy poppin' tell the coppers ha 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 You can't catch them, you can't stop them I go by them goon rules If you can't beat them, then you pop them You can't man them, then you mop them You can't stand them, then you drop them You pop them, cause we pop them like Over Red and Baca Motherfucker, I'm ill Become this Tours and Outliers, the podcast where we take a closer look at that one album in an artist's discography that sticks out like a sore thumb. It may be their best album, it may be their worst album, but either way, it's that one album where the artist was so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Just a quick heads up, we're on Twitter and Instagram. We're also on Facebook groups, which is where we actually, you know, sometimes say stuff and do stuff. So, you know, definitely join our Facebook group. Um, This week on the panel, we have Logan Renard, Matthew Marr, and Bryson. And we have a special guest, uh, Bryson from uh, Bryson on the Block. Yeah, the Block with Bryson Warden little radio show that I do, so... Sorry. That's <laughs> nah, quite all right. This is our first international podcast. We're actually reaching out across, you know, the, the, the great wall that we've built to uh, Canada. And um, this week we're going to be discussing Lil Wayne's 2010. Well, it finally came out in 2010 album <laughs> called Rebirth. So um, I guess first off, do we know anything about Lil Wayne? I mean, who is he exactly? Well, I mean, I think everybody's heard of him. You know, he's got a prolific discography with more hip hop. This is the first time he's definitely stepped out of that lane into rock, which was a big transition I remember seeing. So I don't know. But yeah, do you guys have history within him as well? Or I mean, he, he did at some point. He beat Elvis Presley for like most singles for a solo male artist in mm-hmm. the billboard or something. So, I mean, he is, he is well known. That doesn't mean that he's particularly well known by our audience, but you know, he yeah. is, you know, ask your kids. Um, <laughs> he was, he was part of a, um, I wouldn't say boy band, but a, a, a rap collective called the hot boys back when he was like 14. And that's when he sort of, 
made his debut, which is probably how he got stuck with the Lil in front of his name, which he, you know, had a on again, off again relationship with as well. But yeah, when when I first heard of of, of Lil Wayne, I, I remember not, having not seen any pictures or anything like that, just hearing a tune, just being like, oh, I bet this is I thought it was like a mafia nickname, you know, like the the guy, you know, they called tiny is always like. 300 pounds and, <laughs> you know, that's right. <laughs> and, uh, I was, I was disappointed when I, I did see what he actually looks like, but, uh, yeah. A while back I had a neighbor, uh, you know, became close friends. We used to hang out all the time. Um, he had definitely different taste in music than I did. He loves rap. He loves, uh, you know, he loves the old school stuff, which I kind of dig. He loves a lot of the new rap. Um, he particularly is enamored with Southern rap. Um, and, uh, but, um, for whatever reason, he was not a fan of, of, of um little wayne and um really? uh, yeah not not sure why exactly he just didn't think it, it uh spoke to him at all you know and little wayne has quite a bit of gangster in him you know and that that kind of thing which my friend did not object to it's not that at all it's just um it didn't seem um oh i don't know it did there there seemed to be um a, at least from his perspective a lot of marketing involved that he was not particularly you know, pleased with. But, but, uh, aside from that, I, I have a vivid memory of this. We were sitting around and, uh, he brought this album over to my house and he's like, wow. He goes here, here, you might like this because it's a rock album. And, and we put it on and this is something is we'll have to talk about. Exactly. Right. It's like, I was like, where's, where's the rock? I don't quite hear it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, but he was, he, he thought it was just a huge departure. So, so there must be, you know, shades of, uh, of um of rap and rock that i'm um that i don't see quite i don't discern quite as clearly yeah um wayne's kind of part of this like uh like aughts kind of party rap Mm -hmm. kind of you know movement that was very kind of uh get wasted and and you know it's a it's a very kind of it's like I want to say it's kind of like the yacht rock of of hip hop. It's a particular. <laughs> you can think you can think about it like that. I mean, this might as well be like, you know, like Wayne's part of a crew of people that are did this really successfully and and awesomely. But the aesthetic is very much like just just party and be wasted. Don't worry about it. It's it's kind of good times music, but that's really. I'll, a lot of its fixation and when you're listening to it it's kind of a, certainly a product of its time because there's points on yeah, this where oh. i'm thinking like okay i'm transported back to like 2006 to like 2008 the like production that's on this it's like wow okay this yeah. is very leagues different from what we have like kind of today even though there's definitely influence although i don't think any artist is going to say i'm inspired by the rock little wayne album or whatever <laughs> but at the same time like it like that kind of area that he was in like that period where he's releasing all these mixtapes and kind of starting to blow up. It's definitely like a mid aughts to like late aughts, definitely sound that he's kind of, yeah, this, this is, this is a a, a opiate fueled house party. Yeah. Background music (laughs) from 2008. This is definitely a music from the noughties, right? Um, (laughs) Yeah. And it does, there is a stark, you notice that it, it, you know, listening to it right now in the world, such as it is, um, you know, I was listening to this again this morning. It was just like, 
Oh man. Yeah. This is, I, I just realized that that was like over a decade ago, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> like I just realized that that was like a, you know, a different time. Well, the, so. the first song off of this, a uh, prom queen actually made its debut on Wayne's MySpace page. So <laughs> that should tell you something about the, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it was the, it was the less successful, um, you know, follow up to Friendster, I think. Was that that Napster or the thing with the stone tablets? Exactly. (laughs) Wax cylinders, something like that. I don't know. I mean, and this this album was a long time coming. I mean, he was supposed to release it like in January. He was talking of 2009, like over a year before it came out. He was talking about he was going to do a rock album. And then everyone thought this was just going to be like a re-release of his you know, album, the Carter three, and then, you know, Amazon accidentally shipped like 500 copies of it, like a month or two in advance to a couple of people who pre-ordered it. And so they had to redo everything so that it wasn't, you know, the same or whatever. But, um, I guess the real question here, much like, uh, Moby or Garth Brooks is, what does Lil Wayne think rock sounds like? Because <laughs> I think when I was listening to this a lot of the time, I, I'm very glad that I think everybody's kind of on the same page, I hope. But I thought that he was just adding an electric guitar to a random hip hop instrumental and saying it's a rock song. And it's no, Which, that doesn't like <laughs> you just having a random yeah. ele- like there's the whole discussion you can have about the erasure of genre and like there's not uh, you know, defining things hyper-specifically, but I think we can all agree that just having a random electric distorted guitar in the background, as you have 808s and hi-hats and everything, it doesn't constitute a rock song. This whole thing was made on an MPC. Yeah. Right? Like, if there's not a single note of actually performed guitar on here, I would not be surprised at all. Well, there's plenty there, of uh, footage there out might there. Be, but... It sounds like somebody in their bedroom with a crappy old MPC could crank this out in like a, a Stony Baloney weekend and, and you know, <laughs> nailed the shit to, to Wayne. Like, that's... I, 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 here's the other thing. Like, at the very earliest parts of hip-hop, there were uh, loud, riff-heavy electric guitar mm-hmm. things. In some of the earliest hip-hop... Walk This Way. Before, there were samplers and... Yeah, Walk This Way. I mean, when it was literally sampled off of two turntables and a mixer, there were plenty of rock and roll riffs. This is another thing that I... Ah, man, my, I get my hackles up when people talk about you know uh musicality and hip-hop and things like that it's like all those djs know more about music than all three of us will will ever know Mm -hmm. you know they've forgotten more about you know you know we talked in some of the earlier in in an earlier album about crate digging you know and being able to find like even more obscure and cool samples and things like that and so I don't know. Hip hip hop and and rap artists have been up to this shit since day one, and before that, you know, before that, they created the rock and roll that they're now sampling yeah. and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It, it always strikes me as as weird when people are like, "Oh my god, it's a rap rock mashup kind of mix up." Isn't that novel? It's like, no, it's not novel at all. It's kind of cookbook and do you think that's what wayne was going for here is he wanted the respectability of the critics who didn't see rap as an art form and only believed in in 
you know, classic rock as in defined by Led Zeppelin in 1976 or yeah, what was he going for? Because he did obviously I I mean, was he trying to convince his fans to get into rock or was he trying to convince rock fans to get into him? Because it doesn't seem like it's doing either. All right, this is my note that I wrote down, and I mean, I'll probably bring it back up when we start listening to tunes, but this sounds like bad Linkin Park with somebody doing karaoke over it. Maybe it's just the production elements that that get us there, but it it really does. It's a a time machine to 2008, and, uh, you know, and it it seems disconnected from, uh, you know, what Wayne's doing for a lot of the album. Not, no, I mean, it's okay. It's just, I I don't know. My first thought was, you know, maybe big Wayne, Lil Wayne's dad was like a huge, you know, classic rock guy. And he was like trying to prove something to him or make something up to him or some sort of homage to him. But apparently Lil Wayne does not care much for his actual dad. And his father figure is Birdman, who, you know, does not care is you know, as a whole it's yeah. not going to be impressed with you learning the guitar so i don't and that's it, it there's lots there, there of is footage a super duper um uh like southern rocky that contemporary southern rock kind of vibe to some of the tunes and i'm glad that they kind of captured that because especially at the time that was that was really neat and that's what that sounded like so it's not disingenuous you know it's like he doesn't completely misunderstand what's going on they're clearly going for a thing here or there it just isn't quite you know it's been done this is it's not this shouldn't blow anyone's mind like the you know hip-hop and rock mashup thing has just been done over and over and over and over again so maybe not with the auto-tune so much at this time (laughs) rap rock with like limp biscuit and such was already passe so combining the two not only wasn't novel it was kind of a dangerous and frowned upon (laughs) yeah people were sick of that and maybe some of the glittery you know glittery uh uh little little wayne and and like some of the kanye stuff from the aughts it was a reaction to you know that was post limp biscuit (laughs) kind of kind of reaction and so this is a odd move well and at this particular time rock rock is kind of dead um, you know, yeah, you know, so so it, it could be that people just don't really know what rock music sounds like. Um, I don't you know, I don't know for sure. Um, but you know what came to mind right away? Like when my friend brought that that uh, this, this record over to my house, the CD over to my house and we listened to it. What I thought before we put it on, the first thing I thought is like, oh, this will be cool. It'll be like iced tea and body count. Yeah, which was which was Ice T awesome. with a rock band, right? You know, and so that that that, uh, but but it uh, no, this this is definitely something different, and and I agree with Logan too. It seems like this is this is not particularly something new. It's just being branded that way. Mm-hmm. Remember the big thing was Lil Wayne is becoming a rock star, and everybody had their own opinions of you know, oh well, he's trying something different. And I respect that, or oh, this is absolutely horrible. And showing, yeah. I, I hear kind of mentioning of the live performances he's done, which will probably two of yeah. on the some. stage. But in reality, I mean, 
the connectedness of the genres has totally been done before and it had been done before recently. I made comparisons a lot to Limp Bizkit and Linkin Park as well, as well as NERD a little bit as well with, you know, production of oh, yeah. like guitars and rock instrumentals and stuff alongside rapping. So it's super duper squashed like, and everywhere. And even it's, then this specific album, it's not pushing anything forward really. It's just, I added something in, in the background and now, so I don't know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I would say it's rock cosplay, but all he did was buy a guitar. He he doesn't even hold it like someone who's seen another human being play a guitar before. He's like grabbing the bottom and playing the strings with his thumb, which is a, a technique that I've, you know, yet to see anyone else attempt because it's completely counterproductive to making music or anything usable I'll, on the guitar. I'll, I'll, I'll sling a th- thumb over the top of the neck from time to time. Yeah, but it, that, that's your left hand, not your right hand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, Wayne has kind of sort of reinvented himself a mm-hmm. couple of times and, and he's pretty, you know, like he's really into skateboarding and as a, you know, he's pretty much, I think he's about a a week younger than I am. We have pretty much exactly the same age. And so for a 37, 38 year old dude to be way into skateboarding is kind of neat. Um, and you know, it, he got really into like when, when, the, when this was going on, you know, I think he genuinely was into playing instruments and the guitar and, and Southern Rocky kind of stuff. And so I, I see it more as a self-indulgent thing than I do as like a, I'm going to, I'm going to fool these fans and make a million bucks kind of thing. You know, I don't think that I, I, it's one of the reasons that even though he's maybe not my favorite hip hop artist ever, like Wayne's awesome. What's he trying like to do whatever the hell he feels like. And he's getting way into it. He's like nerded out on shit, whether he's exceptional at it or not. And I, I kind of like that. That's true. Um, he had nothing to gain other than, you know, <laughs> his own enjoyment from this. I think yeah, this is around true. the same time he also appeared on a a Weezer song, which I think he only got the gig because, yeah. you know, Weezer and Wheezy oh. sound the same. But <laughs> Yeah, it's right there. It was right there the whole time. <laughs> I, I think he's a very charismatic guy. Uh, yeah. Well, you can't take your eyes off him. You'd like him or not, he's um, mesmerizing. And, and is, you know, yeah. and, and a, a lot of rock stars and rap stars, you know, they have they have the uh, anti-authoritarian vibe, you know, whether, uh, you know, genuine or not. And uh, he, you know, he sticks that middle finger mm-hmm. up a lot. I mean, you know, I mean, figuratively, he's, you know, he tells people to fuck off. And, and I think that his fans, um, you know, they, they respond to that. Like, uh, you know, there's there's like uh, that uh, there's some YouTube clip of him holding a cup full of uh, something unknown. And, uh, you know, the the interviewer or whomever is trying to get him to identify what it is, you know, and he's you know, he's like, it's my cup. I what's in here is mine. You know, fuck off. And, and, uh, you know, whether that makes for good music or not, I don't know. But I think it, uh, you know, it has that it has that rebel, that rebel vibe that uh, makes you know, um, makes, uh, that can make, um, you know, popular music so compelling. Or 
our uh, audio listeners, uh, Scott does have a, a mighty chalice of scissor. Scissor. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but you know, not for any fun reason. I, I I've got a touch of the oh. corona, so <laughs> yeah, he has a prescription for that. <laughs> it's a prescription chalice. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I I like you know Matt was saying like he seems to be pretty genuine in his interests and attitude and stuff like that where you know like again let's say when when Kanye does something really really like wacky and different than he's been up to you're like well Kanye is <laughs> off his meds again like and this is going to be you know whether it's for spectacle or not it's just going to be completely crazy and with Lil Wayne he's kind of like yeah I really have you guys heard of this? I really like this thing. I'm going to be really into this for a while. And he like kind of takes you with him on a ride, just nerding out on shit. Like going back to the skateboarding thing. So many people asked him, well, why now? And why are you choosing to skateboard? Like, why don't you just stay in your own lane? And he didn't have some complex reason. He just said, I like skateboarding. <laughs> like, this is what yeah, I want to do. Skateboards are cool. He had a passion for it. Cool. He's not trying to like explain, oh, I'm trying to connect with this or I'm trying to broaden her. He's I just want to skateboard. I've skateboarded before. It's fun. <laughs> and like, and, and he's, and I, he's, yeah. he's better than me. Like, I, he's I, decent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's, uh, and he takes like, uh, you know, on tour, he took a bunch of pro skateboarders and like, not even like the Tony Hawks of the world, just like badass AMs and, you know, a few badass pros to go on tour with him and live like rock stars and skate for a few minutes before the concert. And, I, th I honestly think like everything that he's done in regards to skateboarding is like good for the sport and good for people who would be into it. And I think he that, like, that's neat. You know, it's not at all cash grabby. It's, you know, it, it's not disingenuous and you know, like I've, I've heard a bunch of interviewer interviews with skateboarders who've gone on the tour with them, you know, and they, where the interviewer was trying to ask the, the interviewee is like, so this is just, this is like some some tax scam or something so he can or whatever. Like, this is just some wacky, crazy shit that he thought of. He's like, and they're all like, no, dude, really enjoy skateboarding. Like and and he's paying us really well and treating us really well. And a lot of kids who wouldn't be into skateboarding are seeing this and, and thinking that it's neat. And so I I love that. I've heard that over and over. I've haven't heard one person say that he's just some rich asshole who's like, you know, you know, playing with people like they're, they're GI Joes or something, you know, it is like, seems like a cool dude. So what we're saying is this is more sincere than the Pat Boone metal album. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, shall we Sounds dig weird. into this? Uh, I think the first track featuring Chanel is uh, American Star. Now how this <laughs> Listen to my own voice and my black rose voice Get the girls of my choice to take off their shorts and blouses I take off my trousers yeah. I don't know nothing about this yeah. I'm a dope boy with a guitar he is certainly a dope boy with a guitar, regardless of how he's playing it. So, so this is the lead-off track of Lil Wayne's rock album. Yes. Um, is it is, is it in the right is it in the right department of the record store? Is you know they're in the right bin. Oh. 
It's fun. It serves its purpose I mean, it, it's, for what it's trying to do. It opens it up, and I mean, it's... I wrote here, like, it's a competent opening, but at the same time, it didn't really leave me with any, wow, this is amazing. Like, it's just, it's fine. I mean, there's definitely worse things that could open an album, but... <laughs> Oh yeah, I, mean, yeah. I, I, I think it's I think it's I think it's good as well. I just mean when you put this on, do you go, "Oh my God, Little Wayne is no longer a rapper; he's now a rock star." Oh yeah, no, I no. St- I, I feel yeah, he's still hip hop, just having a guitar. <laughs> so, well, and I, I wonder how much of this is. I don't want to sing. I'm going to turn on the auto tune, and it will come up with the melody for me. Uh, yeah. So I don't have to sing and song will happen nonetheless, which is, I'm not sure, very effective. Something on the the auto-tune thing is, you know, we got super burned out on it in the early 2000s, but um, the application of that auto-tune effect is not quite as just switch it on as one might think. Like what they're doing with it in a lot of really over the top uses is kind of tricky to pull off. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a very deliberate thing. I think it just gets shit on a lot because it was, cause everybody did it on everything for like probably way too long. <laughs> but I, I, I sort of resent the idea that it's like this super duper shortcut. Yeah. Like you know, to do, to make it, that digital kind of sound because auto tune is basically just pitch correction when it's at its most minute thing, like just a little bit of it will help you kind of stay on point to create that sound that we hear on this track, but also more so leaning towards like T-Pain in general or 808s yeah. from Kanye. You have to play with it and mess with it enough to create that digital effect. But it's just here. It's, I don't know. It's very, it's not yeah. enough to be like cra- <laughs> fucking crazy, and it's and it's too you know too little to I don't know yeah, it's it's neither making him sing a melody nor, you know, being a, a really over the top effect. I can show and, you how to do it, Logan. Yeah, <laughs> it's just a big old button on my desk. Yeah. Auto tuned. It's taking me back to all those like auto tune mic or the auto tune app that you could press on your phone, and then you're like making the sound. And it's all I don't know. What, what was the auto tune plugin that everybody used on these things? Do you remember? There was a big one. It was a Antares auto tune, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, Antares. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean the way you get the T Pain thing is there. Typically, there's a threshold for, um, you know, how out of tune something has to be before the auto tune kicks in and you know corrects it. But if you turn that all the way up so that it's trying to correct everything and do some other things, you get the weird stuttery, almost ring modulatory kind of sounding thing. And uh, that yeah, T Pain's super famous for. Um, it's it's almost like a vocoder sounding effect. That's a good question. <laughs> Is this more or less comprehensible than Trans by Neil Young? Uh, I think these are tied. <laughs> <laughs> Computer cowboy. You know, yeah, I think some of those live, uh, you know, the live auto-tuned um, devices that came out weren't actually auto-tuned. They just, they just made it have that choppy sound yeah. to it. So, uh, yeah, yeah. 
So why doesn't Little Wayne just do an album where he uses Neil Young's trans? <laughs> like, I'd that would, buy that. That would be <laughs> awesome. Yeah. He probably doesn't know about it. We need to let him know. Yeah. Little Wayne, make a just I mean, even trans backwards with little Wayne like mumbling over it would be amazing. Um, as far as this first track goes too, I it really uh, makes me compelled to agree with Logan here that this is this is good time party music. It's you know, it's just, Kravitz is what it's, it is. It's mm-hmm. uh, you know it's or, yeah. or it's uh, you know yeah. Margaritaville for a different set. You know, yeah. Doesn't he live in Florida, Little Wayne? I think uh, you are correct. I do not know. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I. I Little Wayne's like best music is kind of comparable to the most cocaineed out, uh, like Fleetwood Mac. You know, it's it's like the hip hop version of just like <laughs> obnoxiously <laughs> overdone <laughs> 70s rock pop. Um, and uh, and that's fine. I mean, for for the time that it was really vital and exciting and new, that was exactly what was needed. Um, so I just yeah, I keep tripping out on how how perfectly it fits the the scenario, I guess. But <laughs> do we want to say anything about Chanel? She's doing sort of the uh, give me shelter backing vocals here who doesn't need auto tune because <laughs> is singing notes. She sounds good. Yeah. Uh, Did, um, uh, how, what is the connection? Was she happen to be in the studio? Or are they buddies? Is uh, They're uh, on the same label. Cash mm. money, young money, something like that. I don't remember. Maybe both. But yeah, she's on a couple of tracks and she's she should do a rock album. That's who should be doing a rock album. I was going to say she is a very yeah. powerful voice that unfortunately outshines Wayne on both of the tracks she's on, especially the one we'll get to later. But here yeah. it's definitely like I was thinking, yeah, you should definitely move in this direction maybe a little bit as well. It's a good fit. So, Well, do we want to move on to the next track, which I think was the first single, Prom Queen? Which sounds like a you know 1950s doo-wop title, but let's see what it actually sounds like. sounded a little more like a rock song it's closer so, yeah this is an emo album right? <laughs> Kinda, like, yeah there's a lot it, of it's a pop punk album it's it's the same product i i feel like you know bill stevenson is is uh, uh partially responsible for the production on this somehow yeah. <laughs> it's very like he was working with you know, fallout boy around this time too mm-hmm. so it, it does fit yeah a bunch more of the, both the the lyrical the, the subject matter and lyrical content and uh, you know God that snare drum <laughs> um, yeah a lot of that is just very very of its time and yeah 
That is, I guess that's what rock and roll sounded like at the time. So he's not. Will there be a time when this becomes like retro or or nostalgic or something and people really miss the the Lincoln Parks and the uh, the biscuits? I can say we're kind of there for Lincoln Park as someone that grew up with that. And I look kind of fondly like, hey, you know, hybrid theory was good. Meteora. I do not look fondly back on this. Uh, I don't know. I, and when the second this came on and I remembered this, my first exposure to the rock Lil Wayne was, I think he did a performance for one of the MTV VMAs or something. And so he got up on stage and was singing the beginning of this song, the verses and such. And when it got to the guitar breakdown that we heard, that's where he did the and then just ended going mother and it just ended completely. And I, even as, young as I was and not really super into music at that time, I thought, what the heck was that? As I'm looking at this. So I and listening to it again, I was kind of dreading hearing the prom queen. So I don't know. It, yeah. Isn't that, I mean, it's kind of a, a poison at the VMAs kind of. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> I think it's remembered as, yeah, that was a highlight. What the, what, what the it hell? It still shows up on like YouTube you know, guitar fail clip compilations is those two note solos it's yeah. up there with like Nick Jonas trying to play that one solo. Was, was, a was that band incubus big around this time? That uh, sounds right. Yeah. I think so. I was just trying to, just trying to think of this, the state of rock music, you know, cause Logan had just mentioned that, but maybe this is what rock sounded like. And oh, no, no, no. when this came out, yeah. no, this is like, what like five to like probably getting close to a decade after that? Yeah, I think you're right. It sounds like because Lincoln, yeah, the, Lincoln the, Park like, was hybrid theory is like 2001 yeah. or something, right? Um, and and uh, you remember we had uh, uh, Limp Biscuit kind of overtook Corn. <laughs> all, all my friends that were uh, really into Corn suddenly were like, "Yeah, that was neat," but what we really like is this new band, Limp Biscuit. And uh, I was like, oh, oh, no, that's the wrong. You're 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 headed in the wrong direction. You know, well, they were like the knack <laughs> of rap metal, I think. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Got massively yeah, I mean, oversaturated. Like, they did it in, all in for my Sharon and Mr. Bungle somehow Limp Biscuit, you know, but but anyway, yeah, that's all in the 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 early early aughts or even late 90s yeah. um, so what did rock sound like at this point career. anything <laughs> was there rock in 2010 i mean yeah it was all going back like they'd already had the post 9-11 kind of uh strokes oh uh, yeah, yeah that yeah, thing kind of thing i'll kind of <laughs> like jets the, the, disco. the hives whatever yeah the thus the thus yes the those bands had come and gone, and yeah, this might have just been. There's a just Lil Wayne. There is just this no album rock that's for, it for an entire year. Yeah, <laughs> the White Stripes. Whatever Dave Grohl's up to. Well, yeah, <laughs> Dave Grohl was born dad rock. <laughs> Even in Nirvana, well, so- he was like you know the Steve Miller of the band. <laughs> well said, Scott. Well, shall we move on to the next track? What we got next? We got Ground Zero, which oddly enough was also on the album Scream by Chris Cornell, but it's a different song. Oh, it is a different song. I thought this was a cover. That's too bad. Which is worse? Roll it, 
a motherfucker, put your wheels on it Let's roll down the hill till the hill gone I started on the block, but that's something to build on it How can I pray when I got nothing to kneel on? Hey, the ground is gone Don't look now, but the ground is gone <laughs> Don't look now, but the ground is oh. <laughs> I had to double check a couple of times what he was saying because the ground is old. The ground is cold. Oh, ground zero. Ah, the ground is old. So, um, speaking of this not even being very. Uh, um, Progressive or new or exciting. Um, this this song in particular, but a bunch of other stuff on this reminds me of well, probably my least favorite Bad Brains album, which is the album Quickness, which was very ham-fisted in this rap rocky sort of way. But it was from the early '90s, so you know, so at least they were maybe. sucking at it first. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's better than this too, but it, it's just I don't know. I don't think the hyped up like riff heavy rock and roll shit like is a good fit for the sort of I can barely be bothered to rap kind of like <laughs> you know like his his like Wayne's attitude and his like the thing that makes him cool is this very like I don't give a fuck about anything kind of attitude yep. and so when you kind of lay that on top of like big heavy like pointy riffs it's like a weird fit. I, I was going to say, I wrote here that, you know, oh, the drums on this one are nice. I like the opening guitar. It's like making connections stuff. But then I put lyrically, he sounds like Wayne. Yeah. So it did it, like there's a tonal dissonance completely where you had this instrumental that I, I do legitimately like the drums yeah. that are kind of building where the guitar is going. I mean, again, it's it's nothing special. Like you're not going to hold this as like the super high echelon as I'm raising my hands here. But at the same time, then you, you're just sticking a random Lil Wayne on top of it. And it's like, okay, well, this now just sounds like someone that was like, I added Lil Wayne to this yeah. classic instrumental. Like, it doesn't, yeah, it's it doesn't like one of those gel DJ together Cumberbund very well. mashups so. you find on YouTube. Look, I took Rammstein and added it to Wild yeah. Cherry. It's, it tastes gross. The end. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is that your favorite flavor? Mm-hmm. I do like a, a Wild Cherry Rammstein. <laughs> do host. <laughs> <laughs> I think doesn't that guy have the the COVID? Exactly. I, yeah. I can see people skating to this song. It is a skatey yeah. kind of song. I mean, I think Actually, yeah. speaking to the non-organicness of this, the band around like two and a half minutes in should be getting quieter because there's like a, a breakdown. But clearly, this was created in some sort of virtual non-band area, so they just fade everything down instead of like any sort of dynamics it is a fascinating thing to hear because they just grab the faders and turn it down as opposed to having the band play quieter 
I'd actually be really yeah. interested to see. I don't need to see like an, a documentary about how this album was recorded, but it'd be interesting to see just how much of it like they brought in. Because I know like Travis Barker is on the record in a later track, so I'm hoping that at least was a drum kit. But then how much of it was just pulling a sample, or did they have someone record an actual guitar and do so, or did they have some sort of MIDI and plug it in, or? just how much of it was digitally produced in order to create this or I don't know. So. I mean, Wayne or his real name, Dwayne does have co-writing credits on all these songs. So they mm-hmm. must've been recorded at least partially with, you know, the end product in mind and not just, you know, found karaoke tracks from some obscure two thousands band that they threw some, some beats on top of, but which is more than Chris Cornell did for Scream, so that's something. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. It's okay, but it's just a, it's a strange juxtaposition between the the wasty face uh, party dude mm-hmm. vocals and like a big heavy. That's with the like you, Matt mentioned the Body Count record earlier, and it's like yeah, but all the all the 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 rapping and stuff on that is like very like militant and pissed off and it works great with like a big like amped up backbeat and and distorted guitar riffs and stuff like that's fantastic but yeah when when there's like this lazy meandering thing over the top of that same stuff it's like kind of strange it'd be like taking the the, the greatness of rage against the machine and replacing zach de la rocha with you know Chris Cornell or something. That would be horrible. <laughs> Nobody would want to hear that. So maybe he should have been shooting more for Gordon Lightfoot or something like that. There you go. He goes folk. You know, soft like rock. Yeah, I'm just thinking covers. of the Lil Wayne cover of If You Could Read My Mind right now. He's just in there. If you could read my mind now. <laughs> A lot of auto-tune on there. Little Wayne does the best of bread. <laughs> yeah. Bread. There's a band that you don't hear much from anymore. Make money, make money, then watch the government take money. I did write that line down because I liked it. Da da da. Da da da. This is is the next track. This is from a Volkswagen commercial? Pretty much. would ever be referred to as funky if the two words didn't rhyme? Yeah, they might smell. <laughs> it's more of a funk than a funky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> da, 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 da. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's you know, the, the, the heavy use of the auto-tune effect on the da-da-da's is... Uh, I don't know if it's... <sighs> Is it necessary, I guess? I like Scott's comparison to trans because it's like, is the vocoder shit on trans like really blowing you away? It's like, 
No, it, it, it kind of could have gone a little bit farther. That's how I feel about this. Like, if it was even more crazy and over the top, I'm in. But it's like, uh, you know, he, this, he pulled his punches or something. Yeah, it's like, it's like uh, if you're in a band and, uh, you know, the guitar player leaves his phaser on all the time. It just gets... Uh, <laughs> it gets annoying after a while. It gets annoying, right, yeah. I, I read somewhere, someone had a theory that there's a reason there's a very thin demographic that really loves autotune and it's the same people who downloaded all their music from Napster and really low res <laughs> files so to them that's what singing sounds like is that sort of weird robotic compressed sound that you know autotune sounds like music to them because they you know all their music came from Napster and and those you know low bitrate files there's a, I mean, there's an interesting thing to that. I mean, even in the analog world where, you know, both the, the vocoder and uh, and the ring modulator were created for analog telephone and, you know, analog audio transmission um, to compress things as much as possible. It was they were all developed in a means to either encode things so other people couldn't read them or to cram even more information down the same line. And uh, yeah, it's funny that, you know, the early, you know, uh, uh, versions of MP3s and, you know, early, with early Internet file sharing where things would end up being a really, really low res copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. Kind 28 of bits per second goes back to the, you know, the, the 50s and 60s with telephone technology. And it's like, well, it sounds like a robot, but we can phone freaking you where know. you get the Captain Crunch whistle and you blow into a phone and it'll mm -hmm. reroute your call and you can make free long distance <laughs> calls. Yeah, I, I saw sneakers, too, Scott. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> Robert Redford's finest film. Maybe. Now, Logan, this is the song that that Lil Wayne also plays bass on. So. What do you have to say about Lil Wayne's bass playing? Oh, it's good, man. He's fine. Um, I don't Assuming know. I, I really yeah, yeah. No, I, I couldn't really tell the difference between it didn't sound drastically differently than any other song on here. So I'm not prepared to say. I mean, he might have just played bass on all, you know, everything that is actually performed bass guitar. So, but yeah, it's fine. Um, it's it's very southern fried on a couple of these that get kind of uh, swampy, um, and uh, yeah, it's it's very consistent with what was kind of cool contemporary southern rock at the time. You know, thinking like um, uh, God, what's his name, the pedal steel player, Rudolph Robert Randolph, Randolph kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, like that kind of stuff. You know, which was very um, intermeshed with the uh, uh, jam band adjacent scene at the time. Um, Lil Wayne so, yeah, was I, the I, first uh, hip hop artist to appear on the Country Music Awards. He was playing guitar on a um, Kid oh. Rock song, oddly enough. So he was hired just as a guitar player. Although all reports are the guitar was not actually plugged in or audible in any fashion. He was still on stage with Kid Rock at the CMTs at some point around 2008 or 9. Yeah, I I don't really want to hate on anyone's um, amateurish approach to like musical stuff. Like he's a fantastic MC and 
a, you know, a good producer and like, I like Wayne's music. And if he wants to dabble in like, look at this, like none of us are like, fuck that George Harrison guy. Cause he sucks at sitar. He like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, uh, I, I think musicians should be able to dabble in stuff that they're legitimately, you know, interested in. Uh, we were talking uh, earlier about, you know, him being passionate about yeah. skateboarding and then being passionate about this project. And it's not really our place. I don't think he's coming into this project saying, I am now the greatest rock star on the planet. I mean, maybe in the sense of like a musician and like his celebrity status, but he's not trying to say he's putting himself up there with greats like George Harrison, like Jimmy Page, etc. Right. He's not trying to fill that role. He's just saying, oh, I'm going to try to. Yeah do something a little bit different. And I think that's the area, you know, it's not it's, it's fun to make commentary about the guitar playing, but I'm not going to hold it against him. Cause what if I was to get up there and suddenly someone said, okay, you can make this now. Yeah. Like, I don't like, I'm not sure exactly what it would sound like, but there'd probably be people that were saying, oh, that sounds dumb as, or bad as well. So I don't know. There always are. Yeah. <laughs> I'd much rather someone enthusiastically do something poorly than cynically do something yeah. conic, you know. It was just when Scott brought that up, I remembered just this deluge of people being like, he sucks at guitar and blah. It's like, yeah, so would you if you'd played <laughs> guitar for like a month and you had to perform in front of a lot of people. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, I remember playing you know, that same two note solo myself when I was like 15 or so. I mean,. <laughs> Most of us don't have, you know, <laughs> the CMT to embarrass ourselves. With. Well, and the thing too is when you're when you're dealing with when you're dealing with a lot of um, you know tracks like this that that um, you know have lots of loops in them and the like, like uh, you know you can you can come up with something that sounds pretty cool, but you just have to you have to you have to make it fit like whoever's you know whoever's the um, the engineer whoever's the producer on this on this album you, you know you have to trim it and make it fit and loop it correctly and all of that stuff to get the groove going um and you can do that with yeah. just about any yeah. sound you know so 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 um you know you just come up with something you think sounds kind of cool and you can you can make mm -hmm. something very creative out of it if you um if you know what you're doing indeed hmm. <laughs> well Shall we move on? Because I have two tickets to paradise. give Lil Wayne this. He owns more guitar pedals than Moby. I think he has a chorus and a distortion pedal. I I, I actually didn't... I like this one. I like the vocals that he does. I mean, he's all over the place on the track, and it's especially present with the auto-tune, but it kind of works in a way with the sort of strung-out tone that he's going for and the vocal fry that you can hear. But it kind of fits a little bit better than the more intense almost four on the floor kick drum and snare tracks that are he just doesn't fit well alongside this one is more of a slower one that he can adapt the auto-tune for to create more of a spacious environment and then 
kind of pull it back when he goes into his little rap verse towards the close, which a lot of these have that song structure of verse, chorus, verse, chorus, and then the guest rapper, which is just him before going into the chorus again. But I feel like this one is at least getting in kind of a direction that is a, he sounds a little bit more confident in compared to the bam, bam, bam sound that'll be more intense and faster BPM, I guess. Well, and I do appreciate this album, you know, despite being a rock record, mm-hmm. it has some variety to it. There's, you know, some ballads and there's some rockers and whether the ballads or rockers work better, there's at least, you know, different sounds and different moods on this record as opposed to some of the records we've listened to, which, you know, you could just play the first song eight times in a row and you'd have about the same <laughs> listening experience. Yeah. Agreed. I, I think this one works to uh, Wayne's strengths as an MC a lot better. Um, it's kind of slower and man, slow and sleazy is like what, mm. what he's awesome at. And I think he has a harder time branching out away from slow and sleazy. Um, Which again brings up the uh, question, why did he want to make a rock album? <laughs> I don't know. Try something different, I guess. But you should be jamming with Kenny G. <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm. I'm waiting for that to happen. So, did this album? It clearly must have uh, had some. Did it have commercial success? I know the one he did after this was like really big, and the one he did. Well, any album he put out that's one of the the Carters. He has like four or five of them now. Those are all really big, and anything that isn't called that for whatever reason doesn't do as well. I'm looking here at the the Wikipedia that I have, and it says the album debuted at number two on the Billboard 200 with first week sales of 176,000. And then it says exceeding expectations, but I don't really know like if that's necessarily up to the standard, because I know the Carters have all gone one, so that depends on the competition it might have faced, and I don't know, but yeah still that's pretty successful yeah i mean he he'd been talking Mm. about this record for almost a year before he finally finished it he's had all sorts of plans there was going to be a a string section Mm -hmm. song that was all going to be like living la vida loca that never happened and he was going to get like fallout boy to play all the instruments or something that never happened there was a lot of back and forth on this but well, and we know that data is correct because the uh, the Canadian Wikipedia is far more accurate. Well, of course. <laughs> uh, Sadly, it's probably true. That um, actually <laughs> might be, yeah. <laughs> Verify everything on wikipedia.ca. Uh, yeah. <sighs> well, shall we... Uh, Go on to that um, sitcom starring uh, Chris Elliott from the 90s. Get a life. this time or were they still they were still hanging still hanging on yeah. I don't know I think that uh, it's very happy it is a happy song when did um, 
The Love Below come out? When did Outcast put that one out? Because this felt very Andre 3000 to me. 2002 or 2003. So yeah, it sort of felt like, yeah, not quite Hey Ya, but you know. That same kind of thing, thing, yeah. Well, that, you know, that's another album that comes up a lot when I, you know, as people kind of, uh, I, I remember that one being new and people being like, ah, oh, he's holding a guitar like it's a prop or something. You no, know, like, Outcast is musically awesome and there's just a murderer's row of, of badass session musicians on, on that double album. And, uh, I mean, I don't know. I just I remember hearing a couple of people really ripping on the the double uh, what is it speaker box love below for being just sampled crap. And it's like, yeah, well, what about the you know two hundred beat per minute my favorite thing? You know, that's clearly perform. You know, like what about the shred and bebop that's on there too? That if you want to see you know. Andre three thousand <laughs> hold the guitar like a prop, you should check out that biopic of uh, Jimi Hendrix he did. Yeah. <laughs> or better yet, don't waste your time. Yeah, that, that was not yeah. good. Well, holding a guitar like a prop, you mean like not like Bruce Springsteen? No. no. Yeah, not like any. That's a that is a, a funny thing. That that's when you know about anything considered rock and roll or rock and roll entertainment. That um, okay. So here, like, I'm a, a bass player in a band, and I get so many you know, uh, people approaching me saying, man, you're a great guitarist because I'm holding a guitar shaped thing and standing at a microphone. <laughs> you know, if you, you could hold a cardboard cutout of a guitar and stand and sing at a microphone and people would be like, ah, I get it. it. Versus if you just stood there and had a, a MIDI controller or played something on an iPad, they would be like, this sucks. Well, that's what I meant it's, before. It's, I don't think people it's uncanny how, and, and it is funny that some of the biggest rock stars have held a guitar on stage as nothing more than mm-hmm. a, a prop for m- most of the time. So, yeah, when when people are kind of shitting on other performers for doing that, it's like, you know, this has been a show business thing almost since the invention of the guitar. <laughs> Does Elvis Presley even know any guitar chords? I mean, yeah, maybe probably like the same four chords that Wayne knows G D and C. Yeah. Well, that's what I meant that I, I don't think that, that um, I don't think a lot of people, a lot of uh, people who consume a lot of popular music, rock music really know what's actually going on. And you know that, I mean, and I guess that that harkens back to what I was saying is that you could call this a rock album. Who's to disagree with you. No one really knows how rock music is made. Mm Well, and what what is it? I mean, what's rock and roll? I mean, right? It it encompasses everything from uh, Metallica to Chuck Berry to I mean, Karen know, Carpenter and Gigi it's, Allen. It's, it's a pretty big spread, you know. And everything that falls under the the rock, you know, label is. I mean, it's it's vast currently, and and you know, getting bigger. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who's to say? There's just so much that can fall within that brand and people want to hyper define it into one specific thing but then you have two people that might hyper define it as like oh well i think it's metallica or i think it's maybe something more poppy or whatever something like no doubt as we mentioned before well what is rock music supposed to be and i don't know no doubt who's a ska band but not just a ska band they're like a fourth or fifth wave ska band with like two or three different versions of that band 
And, you know, so like, where do they fit in exactly? Like that's, it's a weird thing, but so they just get kind of, there's like, well, they're a rock. <laughs> you know? By the way, it's funny. You mentioned uh, Metallica when I, when I first heard this, for some reason, I, I, I uh, it, it um, reminded me of Metallica's the unforgiven two off of, um, Oh, the production of yeah, so reload or something like that. Yeah. As in, there's no bass on here at all. <laughs> well, and even 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 you know even the the tempo, how it's structured, um, you know, the uh, a bit of the melody. Is Bob the, Rock somehow responsible for this? Does he have a goofy pseudonym? And is, in, in, yeah, yeah, is Bob Rock involved in this? Bob Rock is secretly involved in everything. It's part of the Illuminati. <laughs> he's he's producing this Skype call as we speak. Indeed. Now, when did that CeeLo song, that fuck you song, come out? Because this feels like it either should have given credit or gotten credit for that song. Are we checking the Canadian Wikipedia? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I thought I I heard typing. I thought that uh, Logan was going. I don't know. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm going. Uh... Ah, so Lady Killer, yeah, yeah. I think CeeLo owes someone an apology. Well, I think that's true, regardless. But you mean the song uh, "Forget You"? Oh yeah, "Forget You." So is this next song a a Bruce Springsteen cover? This was on Nebraska, I think. Yeah, yeah, on far. He's on fire. You hear that blazing guitar riff? I think it was a half a beat. It was blazing. <laughs> it's on fire. I think the discussion around what makes these rock songs is most prevalent here. Because I was writing, okay, we're starting off with this 80s sort of production, and then immediately, just late 2000s, okay, I'm taken back there, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, what makes this a rock song as opposed to something that would just show up on the Carter or one of his mixtapes, and then you just hear the half-beat guitar, I'm like, okay, well, that's that's not like... <laughs> so... That's it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what a trap beat with newly distorted guitar is called, but I don't think uh, it's a mistake. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, Peter J. Ballette gets a co-writing credit on this song because it samples so thoroughly from "She's on Fire" by uh, Amy Holland. Ah. He also produced the Elton John Ooh. disco album, so. All sorts of connections going on. I mean, the song's good. I I like the song. It was just really oh, jarring boy. to hear, especially in the context of this record and what it was being built up to be, this tonal difference from where he was previously. And you have this that just sort of was, it almost feels like it was a cut that was taken off of one of those records and was just added in here because, oh, we need to fill the track list or something, which, I mean, that sounds like doing disservice. I do legitimately like it, but it just, it's... It feels very disconnected from the rest of what's being built up here. I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't fit the uh, 
even his own sort of skewed perspective on rock, this doesn't fit in with it. But, you know, I mean, is sampling a rock song the same thing as writing a rock song? I mean, yeah. Kind of? Yeah, kind of. I mean, no. again, you know, the walk this way kind of stuff. I mean, back to early, early, you know, hip hop, there are lots of rock and roll riffs in there and they leaned on the riffs really heavily, like as a as a key part of the, the tune. Um, so, I mean, this is maybe just a different take on it. This is like sampling flash like, dance. <laughs> yeah. Sampling, sampling like, uh, you know, uh, trap music for a rock song. It's like the reverse of it, but you know, <laughs> somewhat less effective, I guess. I know he, he, yeah, he throws it, on a, a new vocal effect on there. He's got that super low voice thing going on, which always reminds me of like Laurie Anderson pretending to be a man or or Prince doing that Bob George character that oh I am here to save your soul kind of voice. <laughs> so have we uh, Prince can get away with anything he wants to. Aside from the occasional uh, rock guitar, are there any other discernible themes that we can identify so far on this album? Well, lyrically, he does seem very upset at some woman. This is not a, a very political album. It's a very personal album and romantic and not in a um, celebratory way, which is odd. <laughs> I I think that the only rock and roll music that Lil Wayne had heard up to this point was Fall Out Boy and like late career Blink-182. <laughs> because the like the song structure, the production and the lyrical content is you expect it to be coming out of, of like whiny orange County kid or something. Um, it's kind of funny. Well, <laughs> that's that also but, where he got the skateboarding, I guess, so, you know, I guess so. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's interesting. Yeah. You make that connection too. Cause I was thinking, listening to this, I was comparing now to kind of what we see from a lot of the SoundCloud rap artists where, I mean, again, it's nothing new, but they're doing more of kind of emo songs and they probably grew up with a lot of those artists like Blink-182, like Fall Out Boy, like My Chemical Romance and such. And so they're pulling stylistically from what they remember. But Wayne didn't grow up with that. He grew up <laughs> with more classic rock and such. So I'm not sure where he's kind of he's honing in on this specifically so i'm not yeah 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 given his age what rock music would he have been listening to i mean same classic rock shit that we listened to that was i mean omnipresent yeah when you know if he had right it was probably a bunch of leonard skinner and led zeppelin <laughs> and stuff the shit that just ran non-stop on you know five different radio stations no matter where what city you're in you know yeah rem <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's very into metal. You know, old old Metallica. You too. Um, yeah, get that Jesus in you. That's like a that old time religion. Creed. Nickelback. Nickelback. He's a big unironic Nickelback supporter. Little ones. Somebody had to do it. <laughs> 
I'm just kidding. He's, he's not. Nobody's doing that. They're Canadian, aren't they? <laughs> they are Canadian, yeah. yes. They are, they, yeah. Uh, yeah. Speaking of the whole Elvis Presley, I remember seeing once that it was supposed to be National Pride that Nickelback was now the biggest foreign band compared to like the Beatles or something someone said. I was just thinking, no. No, no, I don't. I don't. I mean, I, uh, that is always the problem with judging uh, sales as your metric of quality. Aren't they? They're from like Saskatchewan uh, or something, I think, right? I think it's Alberta. I'm not. I'm not sure. Alberta. Yeah. yeah, it is. A, a bunch of my coworkers went up to do a bunch of testing at a power plant in the town that Nickelback oh, is from, and they were told at every gas station, every diner, and every hotel that they stayed at that. Hey guys, you know Nickelback's from here, <laughs> and they ran they away. Framed and autographed uh, uh, press shots at every place of business in that town. So, gotta be proud of something. Do they have? Do they have a shot of of him of him of them rather hugging Neil Young? <laughs> I feel like Tony a hostage exists somewhere. Yeah, Celine Dion. Uh, don't get along. All the greats. <laughs> Brian Adams. Bare naked ladies. What is the common theme? Does what for this album or like Canadian rock music? You're going to. <laughs> I don't think Lil Wayne is exactly. a bare naked. <laughs> we're, we're grumpy ass Americans who are, are as as uh, broke musicians. We're angry that we don't get supported as well as Canadian musicians uh. do. So <laughs> drop them from the world. What Canada? Oh, this has a guest star. Can you guess who it is? Bitch, I'm gonna pick the world up and I'm gonna drop it on your fucking head. Yeah, and I could die now. Earth, motherfucker, hop up in my spaceship and leave Earth, motherfucker, I'm down Motherfucker, I'm down oh, I know what they don't want to tell you Just hope you haven't sent Alright, um, physics question How can you drop the world? I mean, you have to drop it onto something Which would have to have a greater gravitational pull than the world itself are you saying this one should have been uh, featuring uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson? Yes, he needs to do some correction here. Well, Atlas could do it. There you go. Well, Atlas shrugged. <laughs> Nobody responds. <laughs> Although we could dig a rush joke out of it. There you go. Uh, so what do we think of Marshall Mathers on this this one? Well, it, it sounds like what he usually does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Doesn't he have like one song somewhere where he attempted to sing himself and that was uh, cringeworthy and embarrassing for all involved? Uh, I don't sure. know. I'm, I've never <laughs> been a fan of that weird like high and low voice thing he does as he kind of goes yeah. into his verse. So... Hearing it here was just kind of, but overall, I mean, it's a decent track. So I'd actually forgotten it came from the rock album as I I'd remembered this one, but I didn't really, I guess, pick up on the influence yeah, of that. <laughs> not very rock at all. Yeah, this is big production, mid-aughts, hip-hop. Mm-hmm. This, this, 
is wants super badly to be a big huge single and you know playing in in walmart while you buy your groceries you know an m&m guest spot only gets you so far though (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh, pick up the world and drop it on your fucking head. That's great grocery store music. Well, you know, hey, on man. your head of lettuce. <laughs> Clean it hey, man, Costco gets serious. You gotta be prepared, especially yeah. right now. Yeah. Costco, yeah. It's actually, I, I like the chorus, so it's catchy. I mean, mm-hmm. as you know, logistically implausible as it is, I like the the, the sentiment and the the melody. It's one of the more melodic songs on here. He didn't mm. need auto tune to fake the notes. I mean, I'm I doubt he put pen to paper and, and you know wrote out little dots. But I've actually heard he like seriously he does freestyle most of the things that he writes. I don't know the legitimacy of that, but I mean, I can believe he probably just thought "Drop the World" sounds neat, and then he just kind of thought of that as the chorus. So maybe. <laughs> I just I can't imagine him being the kind of philosophical. All right, and then we'll do a simile at this part, and then make sure that these two connect in an A B C rhyme scheme. Like, no. Exactly. So, well, and back to what I was saying, you know, earlier about things working to his strengths. When he can, you know, I sort of think of Lil Wayne as like a Bootsy Collins esque character, you know. Um, and so whenever he's put in a situation where he has lots of room to ham up that character, it's awesome. It delivers. Mm-hmm. Like, you want to see him be Lil Wayne, like, even if he's being awful at guitar at the same time or or just, you know, not making any sense at all. Like, that's the enjoyable part. That's the thing that, that gets results when it whenever it's done. And so when he has to kind of conform to more traditional song structure or you know do do something he's where, where he has to tone down the character it it's mm-hmm. not as as strong so what you're saying is there should be like a Lil Wayne Muppet Babies kind of cartoon show yeah I would watch that oh, oh yeah be better than Hammer Man <laughs> oh yeah you know that's a that's baby. That's an interesting concept because uh, a lot of a lot of things that were taken to be extreme, or or um, you know culturally offensive to the mainstream, um, you know over the years they end up becoming you know um, Disney esque, you know quaint that sort of thing. And it would be kind of interesting if if uh, you know to look in the in the future, twenty thirty years from now if there really is you know like. Muppet Baby versions of rap stars and and that kind of thing. Well, Ice Cube um, is doing Disney movies at this point. I mean, mm-hmm. you were talking yeah. about Ice T, and most people don't know him from Cop Killer as much as playing a cop on TV. I mean, he's been doing that for what 14, 15 years now. That's what people know Ice T from, and I think he used to be gig. like mm-hmm. one of like the most feared, scariest men on the world, and now you know. <laughs> He's trading jabs with Richard Belzer for God knows how long. I, I still needs uh, uh, health insurance like all of us do. So don't knock that. I, I, the cop show, man. Yeah, yeah, someone might kill him. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, that's one of the things about hip hop in general is that they're, they're not concerned with selling out. If you can make money, the whole, you know, audience applauds that because they understand and are very sympathetic to 
Hey, you, you want to sell perfume? We'll buy your perfume. Hey, you want to appear in Are We There Yet or Friday? We'll buy those movies. We yeah. don't care. We're not expecting you to be like Bruce Springsteen and never, you know, let your commercial music be put on an ad for a Volkswagen or something. You're making me think like of Kendrick Lamar when after Good Kid, Mad City, or maybe to Pimp a Butterfly, but he did like a string of features and people were asking, oh, why are you doing this? You're supposed to maintain your artistic integrity. I'm just thinking, what? Get paid. Make money. <laughs> like you have artistic I, integrity. Go nuts. I know that you, you have like, you know, KRS-One and some more like uh, a political <laughs> rappers and stuff early on. And, and you know, and currently like really leaning on more socialist ideals and things like that. But I'd say overall hip hop is massively capitalist and it's uh, mm-hmm. un- unabashedly and proudly about getting paid for whatever, you know, like it's, it's about hustle and, and selling shit. So, you know, I mean, lean into it. Why don't you, you know, the disorderlies. Now there's a movie that we need to go back and watch again. <laughs> Well, should we go on to the next Chanel-esque song with the uh, R&B vocals and that chorusy Metallica guitar? Yeah, let's do it. Kirk Hammett on this one? couldn't get Dido or Kimbra. I was going to say that that first the drop in this is the most Linkin Park sounding not Linkin Park thing I've heard in a while. No way could it have just gotten them and done an album with those guys. Maybe he did. Maybe this is secretly a Linkin Park track that they they sold to him. Yeah. I was, I was thinking more so, especially with Chanel oh, here yeah. at Paramore. Yeah, oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> definitely, like, Haley Williams sound with that chorus. Like, wow. So, it's cool. It's a thing. <laughs> it definitely has more of a rock feel. It, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you had built this as a, a Chanel song with, you know, featuring Lil Wayne, it might have sold better or at least made more sense because she's doing a lot more on this than he is i think in general i really wish that this had been more promoted this one and a little bit as well the next one that we're going to go into but i feel like this is more competent than definitely prom queen and then drop the world is more so a standard track so like i see why that was promoted but this is showing stereotypical traits that are more associated with what the person that might be wanting to see what a rock little Wayne would sound like with that idea in mind they'd be thinking of something like this and i think this is a success at kind of that sound he might have been shooting for in comparison to more meandering and all over the place prom queen or other things that we've seen i think this is definitely honing in on something that sounds like a good fit whether that's more of the work because of the featured artist which is certainly something to say but i do think that in general it's come together really nicely out of all the tracks that we listened to so far it's definitely a high point so why didn't lil wayne ever do a second rock album why is this the only one did 
did he get it out of his system or was he embarrassed or so no I do agree that the uh, I mean, like I, you know looking at the Wikipedia page and see which ones of these songs were singles I they're they didn't pick the I I you know the the singles on an album are never my favorite songs but for some reason some guy at a record company somewhere decided that those are the ones that are going to sell the most so you know good for them I, they're right some of the times but <laughs> I, I, I think there are songs on this album that are some of the stronger songs that were definitely not the singles. And, you know, it didn't I, I'd never heard them before until I listened to this recently. So that was an interesting choice. Mm -hmm. And and yeah, like this one would have been a great one to draw people in to what this album is like. I think that's my least favorite single thing off of records when records were full-length records were still being made is the single comes out it's playing on the radio or wherever it's being you know wherever you hear it and it doesn't sound anything like the band it doesn't sound anything like the rest of the album and that always it feels like a bait and switch mm -hmm. and uh i don't know that seems to be a pretty common thing in the record business and never never quite understood those choices but Luckily, the record industry is now dead. We don't have to worry about it ever again. <laughs> well, and they were bleeding money like crazy when this was coming out, right? I mean, it, they were dead and, and hobbling around on one foot, right? Yeah, yeah, they were not doing well in the, well, pretty much since 2000. Yeah. Well, if this album sold 100,000 out of the gate, that's... Mm -hmm. This is a success for them. Yeah, yeah. They, they made their money back, especially since it doesn't cost much to make records anymore. Yeah, well, it's not just making the records for stuff that, you know, for stuff to sell hundreds of thousands of copies. You need to spend millions of dollars promoting it and making mm -hmm. sure that it is everywhere. People are aware so of there's, its existence. There's a big machine behind, you know, even though everything's digital nowadays, it's not like you can make some truly amazing music and every, you know, everyone's going to buy it. You know, you have to spend a ton of money. The record is the least it. expensive and, and part of making a record. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Like you gotta, you gotta shove it down people's throats before, you know, everybody's going to own three copies of it. You know, that's, um, that's a thing to note, I guess. Well, yeah, no matter how, how fantastic whatever you've made is, it's the Internet is kind of like having a um, really beautiful promotional billboard and putting it in a field all, off the highway in Kansas somewhere. I mean, no one's going to drive by. No one's going to see it. Yeah. Well, and it, it, it sort of destroyed the whole, you know, big fish in a small pond phenomenon. Now everyone's in the same freaking pond. And unless you're Jaws, you will get forgotten mm -hmm. well speaking of forgotten do we want to talk about kevin rudolph and his one-way trip like a i'm with another bitch by supper yeah me and hate that's an odd couple <laughs> you niggas fake you wouldn't pop bubbles you can act stupid bitch i'm dumber and t-bark is my motherfucking drummer let's go know that Travis Barker played on this song? <laughs> he may have mentioned it 18 say, or 19 times. Yeah. This one has a great 
I mean, it, it's got. This one has a big fat rock and roll backbeat. Yeah, you can foot stomp to this thing. It's yeah. This is this is pretty rock and roll. Although most rock songs, I mean, I don't think the Beatles ever shouted out Ringo during. The- <laughs> Yo, we got Ringo on the track. Yeah. Get back. <laughs> well, they should. They should have, but yeah. I like, um, you know, I'm, I'll have breakfast like a motherfucker. It, this song makes you hungry. Sausage and eggs. Well, it's definitely probably the the most competently structured overall in terms of the instrumentation that's on it and just blending the different mm-hmm. elements where. Wayne feels more natural here than kind of just placed on top of it. And then Kevin Rudolph, it's a name I haven't heard in a while, but he definitely, he sounds good on this one. So I don't know. I haven't really looked much into his discography outside of the big single he had a while ago. I think it was let it rock, but like other than that, he definitely fits well here. So it's all coming together nicely. Yeah, I, I'd never heard of him, so I looked him up on, sadly, American Wikipedia, and the first sentence was, Kevin Rudolph is best known for Let It Rock. Yeah. I'm like, well, featuring Little Wayne. I'm like, you're not helping me here. He was probably one of the many people that was like signed to Young Money or whatever that was not Drake or Nikki and was just kind of stuck there under, not Wayne, I think maybe Birdman was more kind of trying to keep people down, I'm not sure, but... Indeed. I was going to say, uh, uh, American Wikipedia would be a pretty good band. <laughs> <these days>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of uh, fascinated by the fact that they didn't have Travis on some of these other songs because a lot of the trap beat kind of stuff really leans on a lot of uh, drum line-y kind of things, which as a drummer, Travis Barker, I mean, he's famous as a, you know, a punk drummer, but... He really comes out of this drumline marching band kind of background, um, at least academically, and really gets into a lot of that stuff, which is uh, very tied to and very well suited to a lot of contemporary hip hop. And so the fact that they have a guy who is is like world renowned badass at that Mm -hmm. sort of stuff and they don't on their record and they don't have him really do that thing very much is seems kind of like a waste. But I mean, the song, nothing against the song. It's great. I just as soon as I you know, realized that he was on this, you know, because they mention it, you know, once or twice. Uh, <laughs> You'd think he'd have more of a presence on this record specifically. Yeah, like you put know. him on every damn, you know, put it, have him on every other song. And I, I think it would make it great. Like you said, like this, the structure of this tune feels a lot more song like than anything else on here. And, and it fits better with, with what Wayne's doing. Imagine that you put a badass drummer in charge of, that song structure and you know things like that and the the, the song's good <laughs> well and, and travis barker aside from being in blink 182 is pretty well known as a guy a session guy you call in mm-hmm. when you want your song to sound better and i think you know most of the time when you get a session guy you sort of put the the credits in tiny print on the cd which nobody buys anymore anyway and the fact that he's constantly bragging about having Travis Barker, it'd be like bragging about, I don't know, uh, Anton Freeze or Jim Keltner or someone like that. And I think he's only mentioning it because, oh, people know him as a rock mm-hmm. drummer. So they'll know this is yeah. a rock song. This is my way of, you know, 
putting the uh, credits in big highlights so you know this is a rock song. He's getting paid for the cred. Yeah. He probably plays on other tracks and it's just, you know. I had thought about that. Yeah, just not credited or get a production credit yeah. or something. This this sounds like he's um I mean like like you said the strong song structure and the production of it it definitely sounds more like a song cuz he's it sounds like mm-hmm. he's playing the song. Right, it's not it's not cobbled together. It's um you know I I kind of like when like when I first heard this album I expected to hear more of this but um and it's buried down here. This you is know, like track ten. Exactly. Or so. Like I was thinking, this should yeah. have received production because I mean, you could argue for the uh, the one we just listened to running that it's not as well known the artist. Kevin Rudolph was having success with Let It Rock, and Travis Barker was that name you'd hear and be like, oh yeah, that's the drummer from Blink One Eighty Two. So why they didn't choose to promote this at least a little bit is just bizarre. I don't know. Maybe it just yeah. wasn't Lil Wayne enough. <laughs> I mean, he's. You know, this is basically a, a Kevin tune with Travis playing drums and a, a guest shot with Wayne, and maybe he felt a little slighted by that. I don't mm-hmm. know. Well, speaking of guests, shall we go on to the uh, the next one, which also features a, a large guest vocal, but oddly enough, actually sounds a lot more like Blink One Eighty Two. It's a knockout. Once you go, uh, once you go, Dwayne Carter, you never go <laughs> back. That, yeah, that was weird. <laughs> I'm like, is this, uh, is this racist that, or that sexist? Or it's just, it feels this is problematic, not the place but I, yeah, I'm not quite sure. I don't want to touch it. <laughs> I just want to walk away. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Just sonically, this is uh, mm-hmm. man. It's pretty cookbook. Just like pop emo kind of. I mean, it's 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 a Fallout Boy tune. Yeah, like I said, it's, it it feels like Blink One Eighty Two. So why aren't we shouting out Travis Barker again? But instead, we get Nicki Minaj. Yeah. Well, it's just like they filled out the same form on a clipboard that it takes to write a Fallout Fallout Boy song at the time, and and ran with it maybe they mixed up the studios or something you know like. <laughs> mm-hmm. i mean i like the fact that nikki actually gets to do some some rapping on here too but you know because usually the female guest vocals are only allowed to sing they don't get to shine or flow on their own so it was granted she's a big enough star she could sort of demand that even back in 2010 but yeah i'm trying to look when uh what's she up to i mean has she blown the hell up like already when this came out or i think so but my timeline is yeah trying to think of because the super bowl like halftime show thing is 2012 so yeah she's pretty big like at the at the time (laughs) 
maybe not as big as Eminem, but certainly another. You know, yeah, I don't know. Is isn't Eminem kind of kind of winding shit down? Yeah, his his. I mean, he's a cliff. He was approaching recovery and stuff at that point. So yeah, he he's he's going down. Yeah, yeah. she's going up. Yeah, both an <laughs> album and a yeah, as a person. Yeah. Well, I mean, that is the. I've brought this up on the show before. There is the, you know, your favorite musicians. There's like, if they're still alive, there's a 10 year period where they didn't do shit. And then they, <laughs> you find out they got clean and then they were back and they were awesome or they died. But it seems like everybody who stays in the music industry or entertainment business long enough, like has to, has to go through that. You know, re- reaches some level of, of, of a burnout and and gets through it or not and and you can really you mm-hmm. know if you zoom out enough you kind of see it in their work tears in heaven wonderful tonight yep. four level man <laughs> <laughs> clapton's still technically alive you know <laughs> he did a christmas album <sighs> really when like two years ago oof yeah. yeah. Well, he is a Christian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh. Yeah. We watched Lethal Weapon the other night. And <laughs> it was uh, pretty. Uh, I was like, oh, yeah, the Clapton soundtrack. Wailing, wailing guitar and yeah. uh, sleazy saxophone. Nathan East on the bass. Yeah, Nathan East. He's a. Um, he has a bunch of records for uh, for flying. He has a bunch of cross country records for uh, uh, flying small airplanes. Nathan East, he's pretty accomplished uh, uh, um, amateur aviator. So we've gotten off topic. <laughs> <laughs> what we're saying is there's not much to say yeah. about this track. Let's uh, move on to the next one. Well, I, you know, I think Eric Clapton lives in Florida, too, or he did for a long time. Yeah, it's never a good place. Huh. Like 461 Ocean yeah. Boulevard. There, there's there's the, there are connections here. You're not being uh, letting our listen. Florida's where you move when you're doing really great. Yeah, yeah. Not? <laughs> That's what I hear. Probably. What about Bob Barker? Is he in Florida? I mean, when you when you want the laws to be you know perfectly <laughs> equitable, uh, you go to Florida. Florida. She stole my heart. She ran away. Now I'm heartless. So fuck, I really would. We got alone. She got away. The price is low, but she got a play. She used to be the cute. How can you hear that title and not think of that scene from Happy Madison or Happy Gilmore? The price is wrong, Bob. They just did actually remind me of that uh, food fight song from uh, The Village People, where it it seems like this is taking place in a high school cafeteria. I think he even sings, I used to be the baddest motherfucker in the lunchroom at one point. So. Kind of a pale version. Yeah, it's of that. not as good, yeah. but it's it it sort of reminds me of that same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he sure is trying to do a, an HR from Bad Brains here. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's an actual guitar solo in this song. I think it's the first one we've had all record, and this is the last track. I mean, 
looking. I don't know if we're going to go into deluxe edition. I have not heard those ones, so I'm not sure. I, but I didn't bother. I okay. get tired enough with this. When I when I heard this, my only thing was this is how this ends. Like it's very kind of lackluster where it's just kind of here and that's it. Like it doesn't really leave you with anything. It's just, okay, well, that was that was something. And that's <laughs> that was kind of overall thoughts, but especially for this. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the only way that uh, a short, stupid kind of punk song like this really gets by is on intensity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, I don't, I, there, plenty of my favorite songs of all time have been uh, very short and uh, very, very lyrically stupid. Um, and, uh, but this is not one of them. It's, it, yeah. If this was like, say like a classic like bad brain song or something like that you would totally believe that hr was you know collapsed as soon as he was done singing it you know and this seems what you're saying is you want to hear green day cover less, this less less intense yeah there's um okay. there's only two more songs on the deluxe version i did not mm-hmm. listen to them either um I, I can't imagine them like bringing the whole thing together, and that's what we were missing. Well, if, yeah, <laughs> but there is another Chanel song. Well, that's good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, well, you know, I I would like to say one thing about the the emo pop punk production thing, and I, I think I've mentioned it once or twice before, but I saw Blink One Eighty Two. Uh, pretty early on um, in the 90s. I don't want to say it was, it'd be something like 1996 or 1997 or something like that. And it was before they were all over the radio um, with their, you know, their their first big, big hits on the, that were unavoidable and the kind of snotty Southern California uh, sneer sort of snotty vocal delivery style was, was, you know, uh, kind of solidified as a, as a thing, um, in pop music. And, uh, I really liked them cause they were a crappy, sloppy, drunk punk band. Um, and th- they played so poorly or were just so wasted that they had to stop a few songs and start over again. And I, I remember them just really hamming it up and running around on stage and caring a lot more about having fun than playing their instruments or per- performing the songs. And what I heard didn't sound a damn thing like any recorded Blink-182 that I've ever heard. And and it really just set me against this production style because I, I saw it ruin a perfectly fine punk band. Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, for the next 15 years, it was slathered all over anything that could be called pop or, you know, pop punk or punk music. And so it just really bummed me out because there's so many bands that I, I mean just wondered what the hell they actually sounded like before some producer got their, their hooks in and, and they were like, Nope, this is how we're going to, you know, this is the guitar. This is what it's going to sound like. This is what the drums are going to sound like. The bass sounds like this, do this, you know, said you have to sound um, like this and, so, and then we'll sell your know, records I, I, at hot topic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and a lot of them, you know, did it all the way to the bank and good for them. But, uh, but yeah, I just remember that being a pretty formative moment where I was like listening to the radio. I was like, God, I hate this. And it's like, oh, this is this band I saw a week ago and they were awesome. It's like, what the hell did they do? Like, why? 
<laughs> why was this treated like this? But well, you know, I think a, a lot of uh, you know, there's a lot of music, popular music in in general, whether it be that kind of um, you know polished punk or or whatnot, right? It's it's always, I mean, it's been this way at least since I've been alive, you know, and uh, certainly if you, you go back further and you know into mm-hmm. the in the '60s and the like, it's 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 really more about how you look than how you sound. And, and I think, uh, um, I mean, that's why you get, that's why you get the record deal, right? The record company has people that will make you sound appropriate or that they feel is appropriate for, you know, they'll, they'll produce a product that will sell. Right. But, but your job is to look the part. Yeah. And, and I, you know, Billy Vanilli, uh, Herman's permits, it doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. I mean, you know, or, I've, uh, I've taken many a guitar lesson from, a. a a guy with a pony a ponytail and a bald spot and a beer belly who was absolutely better than my top musical heroes, like easily effortlessly better than, you know, the most well-known, you know, some of the most well-known musicians in the world, but he's a guy with a ponytail and a bald spot and a beer belly. And he's, you know, 46 or something. It's like, that's, you know, your technical skill is not the end all be all toward your success. It goes back to what we were saying earlier about marketing where that's such a huge component of it. And then it's also, yeah, like when you're on stage, you don't have to be the most technically skilled, but if you're just standing there running through major scales at like a complex time signature, but you have no presence, no one's going to stick around and watch that unless they're really enthralled by technical skill. They want to see you move around and interact and have energy and presence is the idea behind it. It does. It's not solely based upon your ability to play complex, I don't know, compositions. And I think that's why a lot of live music, um, you know, big concerts and the like, it's not even live anymore. It's often recorded, or at least half the instrumentation is recorded and you're playing the backing tracks. It's because because um, you, you, you have that, you have that musical product available ready. People yeah. aren't there to hear that. They, they want to see something. And uh, or at least that's the uh, that's the approach that that they've you know, that they've taken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and it's not wrong because the show is a show. It's entertainment. It's not, you know, it's, yeah, it's not wrong. It's just a matter of what you want to go. Yeah. What yeah what you for, go right. say. And I mean, like I, you know, Prince came up earlier, but, you know, he's gets held up there all the time is one of the best examples of, you know, you can do both. Yeah, you can do both of those things at a really high level at the same time and blend them together in a way that's just awesome. Everybody always shares that uh, as my guitar gently weeps where he shreds the guitar solo and everything. But it's not solely about that. The same complexity and thought can go into something like One Dove's Cry, where, you know, that doesn't have a bass track and it's a standard pop song. But there's so much thought that has to go into every single part of that to create something that's catchy. And then his performance of it and all of it comes together. It doesn't have to be one where he's just in fancy suits and dancing around or the other where it's this super complex thing where he's just, hello, it's coming together. Well, like, agreed 100%. Speaking of, like, the shitty, like, two-note guitar solos and kind of ham-fisted amateurish guitar soloing or guitar playing, you know, one of my favorite guitarists of all time is Poison Ivy from The Cramps who plays the most ham-fisted, crappy guitar all over, like, all of her stuff. And it's amazing. It's absolutely badass because it's done with with balls and attitude. And on stage, it's done in a skimpy outfit, waving the guitar around like she's going to hit you in the head with it. And 
I don't know. It's it's a uh, it's it's letting the the show business side of it do a lot of the heavy lifting, but you can you can get away with that. It's not mm-hmm. you know. Uh, it's entertaining. It, yeah, it's entertainment, and it and it's and the kind of crappiness of it, the primitive nature of it, is sort of featured and uh and gets to be used as a strength and so i think it it can be done and i don't know i i hope wayne does he should do another one of these where he plays a bunch of instruments rebirth again yeah well like yeah rebirth again after birth (laughs) born again (laughs) renaissance (laughs) uh yeah I I, i think if he was more um over the top with some of this stuff it could have I mean, in the same way that trans and some of the other kind of let's try this genre albums that we've discussed, we're like, if you're going to do you it, know, if this had, <laughs> if this had gone 20 percent more like everyone would know about this thing. Yeah. Um, but, it, you know, you played it safe and it, so it's just OK. I yeah. I'd be receptive to him trying it again. If he announced, I'm going to try the rock thing again, I know that there's going to be people that would bring up performances of prom queen and all that. But there is genuine highlights and sort of genuine inspiration that shows he does have a passion for it. And I think if he's actually wanting to do that and wanting to come back to it, I'd be in favor of it. I think it's good for artists to diverge from the straight narrow path that's commercially successful and try something different. I mean, obviously this album was commercially successful regardless, so he might find that again. But at the same time, I would definitely be in favor if he wanted to do a rebirth tour and afterbirth. I like Renaissance. Renaissance isn't a bad name, actually. So... Yeah. Now, suppose one were listened strictly to hip hop and rap and they heard this album like, I want to know more about rock. What rock album should they start with? Is this like Sgt. Pepper or are we talking Dark Side of the Moon or <laughs> Pet uh, Sounds? Uh, uh, anything with any connection to George Clinton or, or Bootsy Collins. Um, if you're a hip hop head and, and you want to get into rock, do that first and then the bad brains eye against eye um yeah some stuff and then zeppelin classic rock hendrix shit like that but um uh, uh, p-funk and funkadelic um are so tied to hip-hop and also rock you know it's the it's the the full life cycle where it's like that shit gave birth to hip-hop kind of and Dr. Dre wouldn't have a career without absolutely P-funk. Bernie Worrell. Yeah, should be. I don't. It, why he's not buried in a solid platinum coffin paid for by Dre, you know, in, a, in his own pyramid, <laughs> uh, it just blows my mind. Yeah. <laughs> well, any other last thoughts on uh, Rebirth? It was fun. It, it, I I will admit the first time I played it, I did not care for it at all it took me a while to warm up to it but i did find some stuff i liked after like the the second or third listen through which relieved me because i was not sure what i was going to do after scream and had to talk for another two hours about this stuff Uh, it's better than i thought it'd be i better than scream (laughs) I, i went in expecting just what i'd seen from that live performance and what i'd heard from kind of the singles that i remembered were off of this because again i didn't remember drop the world being a single off of it so it definitely 
leaned it, it wasn't this huge thing that i think marketing made it out to be where it was either going to be the worst thing ever or this renaissance of the rock star little wayne doing something completely different it was just a nice blend of incorporating hip-hop and rock elements into tracks and some of them worked some of them didn't and overall i mean it was fine so yeah we've certainly listened to worse <laughs> Man. no doubt well we've not listened to them yet but um <laughs> you want to plug anything bryson i mean where can people find your uh, show yeah so i run a weekly radio show that goes out every monday on frequency 101.7 civl fm uh if you're not in british columbia then you can also find it online via TuneIn or via civl.ca however the episodes are all online on all major podcasting platforms as well under the block with bryson warden you can also connect on social medias at block with bryson and most of them so at twitter at block with bryson instagram at block with bryson and we've also got a facebook page as well the block with bryson warden where you can connect there but yeah thank you guys for having oh, me this was you. a lot of fun sorry if i was kind of awkward and uh, well we're all <laughs> learning how to skype at the same time now. I'm, it was, there's the other thing too is that like just because this is an audio podcast i don't know if there's a video accompaniment but i am 23 so i definitely sometimes feel a little out of my element when you guys bring up certain things i do know some older things but i've got to definitely listen to a lot more music and get kind of cultural relevance and stuff which is good so apologies if i didn't have much to contribute to the discussion oh, we needed someone who Canada. knew what they were talking about because <laughs> okay. we definitely did not so. <laughs> we, we all bow to the the musical uh encyclopedia that is scott Livingston. <laughs> <laughs> useless information only useless information uh, <laughs> yeah yeah well yeah well do we have anything yeah bryson thanks again yeah, this, yeah, was, uh, this was fun hey thank you. thank you do we have anything else to plug or no i'm sure that we'll all become less awkward as we are locked in our homes by ourselves for months i hope we never get to the point where it becomes Natural. unawkward yeah, yeah that would that would be a sad sign well mm -hmm. in that case we do humbly ask that you take a minute to go into whatever podcasting application you are currently employing and uh rate and review our show so that we know that we're not talking to ourselves and we're not crazy and until then stay safe stay sane and tune in next week when we try and figure out who this artist is <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>